Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the TetraCast. My name is Zach Reese. I'm your host. It is the September 8th, 2018 edition. Joining me today, we've got Adam Vitali. Yep, and just me today. Just you today. So yes, uh, it's just uh, it's the old crew, uh, me and Adam here. Uh, so yeah, um, there happens to not be a whole lot of news to discuss this week, and everyone is pretty much busy with their own thing going on, their own reviews, and so, or, or of course, other uh, happenings going on. So for us, uh, we wanted to at least talk a little bit about the games that came out this week, because it was a pretty important week in terms of coverage on the site, um, and also stuff that's going to be coming out very soon. But there was also some pretty interesting news uh, I should also mention that there's apparently a Pokemon conference going on right now, so if there's anything uh, good that comes out of that, we'll be sure to share it with you, or at least share our thoughts um, as that happens. But for now, let's just go ahead and get right into it. So, Adam, um, as I was talking about, uh, it was a very important week because one of the big releases was Dragon Quest Eleven. Now, uh, aside from um, 428, which also got... A 10 out of 10. Dragon Quest XI, which we talked about before, also nailed a perfect score. And from everyone on staff that's playing it now and everyone on my social media feed, they seem to be super in love with this game. So uh, go ahead and share a little bit about your thoughts uh, playing through it right now. Yeah. So first of all, kind of just everyone's busy. Josh reviewed 428. He gave it a 10, but he's not available to, to talk about it right now. And then Liz reviewed Dragon Quest XI, and she gave that a 10. Both loved the games they were assigned to review. Unfortunately, neither of them were able to make the podcast, but you can obviously read their thoughts on their reviews. Yeah, um, but you, you've, you've covered Dragon Quest, uh, yeah. I believe, 7 and 8 on the site, uh, the 3DS versions anyway, and you played yeah. through most, if not all, the series that uh, all the games that have ever come I, over I here. I played so, at least uh, one You're actually still... Of- yeah, just the just the one particular version, but so I think you're still like a, it's very good to have you on this podcast because yeah. you can really speak to this as well about at least what you've played. Yeah, I mean, what I was going to say is I I played at least one version of each of the mainline games so uh, for Dragon Quest. Um, so I am playing Dragon Quest Eleven and I'm about ten hours in. So and this is a pretty long game. It seems like um, common. Uh, reports in terms of how long it takes to to complete this game. It's about fifty to sixty hours for to to reach the credits. Um, yes, that's like the main game, and then there's like a post game. But I know some people actually hesitate to call it a quote post game because it's not just like uh, a bonus dungeon, you know, or what these what some what RPGs do sometimes, where it's just kind of like extra like mechanical content. But it's apparently just. Like more game, like more story, yeah. content, dungeons, battles, everything. So, uh, and apparently, con- if you include that, you get up to more like 80, 90 hours total, yes. and probably right around 100 if you're like a completionist uh, and want to do everything. Um, so, I, what I'm getting at is I'm not very far into this game yet. Um, <laughs> I'm, about, I'm about 10 hours in. Uh, I have five of the party members. And it's, you could pretty, it's pretty, for people who are familiar with the series, and just by looking at it, it does most easily resemble Dragon Quest Eight in terms yes. of uh, obviously being a console release. You have these big field maps. Um, it's got a similar battle system, not quite the same. Um, it's actually it's actually kind of uh, it's actually kind of weird to think about that. Like Dragon Quest Eight came out what uh, ten years ago? <laughs> yeah, it was like two thousand five, and it's weird that that, that was. Yeah. 
Aside from Dragon Quest X, which we never got, it's the only yeah. console 3D entry when you think yeah, about it. And Nine obviously is a, a portable game, and Nine's yeah, actually DS. kind of like an offline on. It's like an offline online game. It's got some of the you know, it's got similar stylings and structures to an MMO. You can yeah. kind of see how they got Dragon Quest X out of you know following that. Um, but kind of, uh, it's pretty clear, kind of uh, mirroring what Liz said in her review. This game is Dragon Quest, and so it maintains this. It's very traditional in its style, and um, some people that may not be interesting to them. It's just like it's a very traditionally, uh, excuse me here, structured. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Oh, this lump out of my what was that? <laughs> Cough up a lump. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, it's very traditionally structured in terms of its battle system, in terms of you know the the overall like structure of the game, going from one town to the other, and these field maps. Um, but it, it, so many RPGs have been like be, being more experimental in their in their design and their structure and their combat systems. Uh, thinking like uh, Xenoblade or Nier, or even Persona's got its own style going. Uh, Final Fantasy XV is a hodgepodge of a bunch of ideas. It's actually kind of almost like Dragon Quest, sort of maintaining what it is. Yeah. Like, actually, it, it almost makes it unique. In that sense, where it's one of the only like big series that's really kind of just sticking to its roots, um, and oh, yeah. ma- maintaining that traditional style, um, and Liz uh, talked to that in her review, but also is clear to mention how it does make it does uh, improve on things. Um, for example, things like the, the the user interface in terms of how buffs work is a little bit clearer to know like when a buff is going to run out yeah. and things like that where before it's kind of just kind of you kind of have to remember uh how how many turns you've been you've been, you've used and uh other things like that it's 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 got some quality of life things um like all all your characters share your exp and you can switch them out in battle whenever you want so you're you're not like Restricted or or course to stick to a same team throughout because yeah. you, everyone gains the XP so you can use them freely without any worry about someone falling behind or anything like that. Um, was that and was that just, the same in eight? Uh, I think so. I think so. I, I yeah, mean, I think uh, it, I think it was. Said, well, the original eight only had that's another thing. Dragon yeah. Quest eight only had four characters. So once you yes. had your party and you got you've only got them like you know, I think you got I think Angelo was the last one you get on your team. Still and pretty you get, early, you know, yeah. A couple hours in, and then you then that's your team the rest of the way through. The 3DS version did add two more characters, um, Mori and Gerda, or Red, uh, depending on what language. But this game has obviously more than four characters, um, and that actually does kind of make things allow things to be a little bit more dynamic because every character, of course, has different uh, abilities, and so mm-hmm. switching them in and out, there's a lot of you know, there's just a little bit of uh, you know that player agency in terms of. How, what team you want to roll with, and not only that, like each character has you know different ways you can build them and their skill sets, uh, and which weapons they're proficient at, what type of abilities they learn. So it's not like you know it's not like this really open ended you know character build however you want. But there's a, there's enough f- flexibility that it doesn't feel like you're so restricted and just doing the same things. Like the way I'm playing the game, for instance, is I have my hero character using a broadsword. I have uh, Eric using a knife, and he, I have him using like a lot of his thievery abilities. Um, uh, Veronica's, I have you know, 
I think everyone has her doing like basically making her her mage spells as powerful as possible. But you know, yeah, I know I, I have a friend of mine who's also playing through the game. For exa- for instance, they're having Eric run as like this uh, dual wheel, dual wielding uh, boomerang user instead. Um, and boomerangs kind of affect the battles differently than knives. You can attack more more than one person at a time and things like that. Um, so you know, there's just enough flexibility there that you're not so you're not just going through the motions. You actually have you you put a little bit of thought into how you're how you're approaching it. Um, yeah. But it's still just, it's just a really solid game in the traditional sense with a, with a couple of, you know, I, I want to say it has like a new coat of paint, but I don't, I don't mean that as a slight. It's just, you know, <laughs> it's just an old game in a modern uh, kind of feel to it. Um, yeah. And it looks beautiful. Um, one thing that, that actually doesn't like come through always in like trailers or screenshots is some of the animations both of your party and just like NPCs in town are really neat. Um, like you sometimes have like um, like people arguing in town and they're like really animated if they're with their arms and things like that. Or there's like girls dancing or there's a town where there's like a circus. So you have people juggling, uh, things like that. And, and so it's just actually kind of neat to see like this variety in NPC types um, in yeah. town. There's these big towns, big field areas. Um, it looks really great, very colorful. Uh, it's I can definitely see why people are really enjoying the game. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. Do you have any questions about it or like uh, anything you were wondering about? I mean, it's um, it's definitely a game that I, I want to get to. I mean, currently I'm playing a, another game I'll get to in just a moment here. But it's one of those like it, it's more like I like to kind of. Um, step back for a moment and sort of uh, reflect on how important this game is, really, because when you look at Square Enix as a whole, um, you know, there's this, like, I think there was sort of like a misleading situation back when Square Enix merged that it was like Squaresoft saved Enix. It's kind of like the other way around because Enix was still doing pretty well. I mean, they didn't have the presence in the West as they used to because they had pulled out before uh, shortly uh, early in the 90s, uh, so we didn't get many releases, at least in America. It was obviously different in Europe, but um, it was something important that uh, when when games like Final Fantasy 13 were coming out, all those, people still looked upon the Dragon Quest series as this very important pillar for the company because they were still delivering these super high-quality experiences Despite the fact that, you know, maybe some people aren't so into, as you mentioned, uh, the traditional experiences, people could still, you know, look at those and say, hey, those are really good games. Uh, Of course, in Japan, really, because it's, you know, clearly a cultural phenomenon there, um, way way bigger there, although they're definitely uh, making inroads here with a lot of the entries that are coming out, like Dragon Quest Heroes and Builders and, and whatnot. Um, and which is a very good sign. The fact that it's been so big here now, uh, Dragon Quest XI's release, uh, really says a lot about how the series continues to deliver a quality experience. It kind of makes me wonder why Yuji Horii wasn't put in charge of a Final Fantasy game before, because I think that, that would have been a great thing, but of course he's so focused on Dragon Quest. Um, it, it's, you know, it's, it's an odd experience to think about. You know, He helped make Chrono Trigger. <laughs> that was one of, uh, one of those things. But... Um, I think that it's it's been great to see that, and with that and the success of Octopath Traveler, you know, turn-based RPGs, uh, especially turn-based Japanese RPGs, have come back in a big way, and it's clearly in high demand. 
And so it's it's a really good sign, I feel, that that's, that's the case right now, that people are still hungry for, the, for this type of game. And as you mentioned with the high-quality animation, uh, I definitely have seen that. Like, uh, aside from NPCs, like just idle animations, like they're fixing their clothes or their little hats or something like that as they just stand around. Uh, and the writing apparently is just top-notch across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the accents uh, that are from the different towns. Like, they gave a lot of the characters real personality there. And that's, you know, obviously feeds into why we gave it the score that we did. And so I'm very hopeful, uh, and when I get to it eventually, uh, to really sink uh, sink some time into that thing. I think all of us are very happy about where that's at right now. And so I was curious to hear what your thoughts were as far as, like, we're looking at this, Knocked About Traveler. Uh, Are you... uh, you know, happy about the way the, the reception's been for these types of games as of late? Yeah. Well, one thing I like about Dragon Quest, just in general, yeah. um, it's a little bit more laid back in terms of, like, just its tone. Like, its story, its uh, and, like, cutscenes and things like that. It's not, like... It's like a grand adventure more than, like, this epic adventure, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, yeah. It's not world-ending kind of thing quite as much. Like, there's, there's like, there's... So I'm only 10 hours in, um, so I, I won't spoil anything, because honestly, I don't really have a whole lot to spoil. But, yeah. like, if we, if we think about Dragon Quest Eight, Dragon Quest Eight, like, there really isn't, like, that much of a plot line to it. It's You, you learn at the onset of the game that a princess of this... Uh, castle town turned into a horse and the king turned into an ogre um this isn't a spoiler this is like premise right, like opening cutscene <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah yeah and basically you're 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 you spend the whole game just kind of chasing dual magus the villain um and you kind of meet different characters along the way there's sort of like these isolated like conflicts in each of the towns you go to that you kind of solve with characters in them they're yeah. maybe not like directly related to like this dual magus conflict plotline um, but they're still interesting, and but what I'm getting at is it's more like this kind of background premise that you're following, and it's not like it's a driving force, but it's not like uh, this really big epic scale thing. Um, in this game, Dragon Quest Eleven, it's oops, sorry about that. Oh, uh, um, the premise in this game is that you learn your character, your main character, the hero learns that you're a reincarnation of, a, of the Luminary, who is a hero, basically. Yeah. And you go to a kingdom. Uh, you're basically told to go to this castle kingdom um, to introduce yourself. But, and for reasons unknown, I still don't know why exactly, uh, they, they think you are the, the Darkspawn instead, and they lock you up and throw you in jail. And you basically spend the first part of the game sort of on the run. Um, so again, that's not really a spoiler. That's like first hour stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I'm at this point in the game here where, um, I have to get my character to Yggdrasil, the tree that shows up in a lot of the art for this game. And so it's, it's, and it's still like this sort of more laid back premise. Like, yes, you're on the run and, but, and you're going to Yggdrasil here, but as you approach these different cities, each, there's like these different conflicts that you, um, that you are basically your characters get involved in and, and that you solve. For instance, in the sand, sand town of Galapolis, there's this prince who has really, really high expectations put on him, but he's actually like a no-good fighter, a no-good racer, and things like that, and he kind of gets himself in trouble a lot. And you basically go on this little quest, a uh, couple of scenes, you know, boss fights to help him out. Um, and yeah. that's where you meet Silvando, and he gets mixed in. Um, 
So what I'm getting at is just like, it's just kind of this more laid back adventure where you're kind of just meeting these different experiences uh, rather than being like this really super plot heavy game. Um, and I just kind of like that about Dragon Quest. Um, but it's just, it's really, really charming. Uh, like you said, uh, just from what you can, what you've seen and what different receptions, the voice acting is really great. Uh, I think it does a pretty good job balancing, like having colorful accents without being like overdone. Um, different cities have different accents to kind of really help, uh, kind of emphasize that, you know, these are different places Break that you're going to bit. with their yeah. own, with their own like cultures and, uh, kind of makes, it makes them stand out from each other. Um, the characters are, are really all, like, it, it feels like in almost every game there's always one character you hate, but in this game they're all, like, they're no one... They're likable. No one, no, 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 all the characters are likable. All the uh, characters, they're interesting enough. Um, That's good. And it's, it's just a really solid game, I think, all around. That's good. That's good to hear. Um, and, yeah, it, it's, it's, once again, it, it creates that... Uh, that long-standing perception that the Dragon Quest series has always been of a high quality, as I said before. And so I'm glad to hear that Eleven has been so uh, well acclaimed. Uh, that's exactly the reception it got in Japan when it came out this past spring. Um, that you know, anyone I talked to was like, yeah, this is easily one of the best entries in the series, if not the best. And so I'm excited to, you know, eventually get to it myself. But it definitely sounds like, you know, for anyone out there who likes RPGs, uh, you know, even if they might be a little averse to turn-based RPGs, uh, it's probably one of those that we're... If we ever make a list of games that you need to play if you're a fan, it's probably going to be on that list. Because it seems like Mm -hmm. everyone I, I, I read about, everyone who makes comments about it, just so highly favorable and i'm happy to hear that and i'm happy to read that stuff too i do want to say just one more thing it's kind of like a small thing but i do think it actually like over time it's it's a significant contribution to like the feel of the game so this game is really similar to dragon quest 8 like i said yeah now dragon quest 8 in terms this is a mechanical thing in its combat system one of the biggest like uh unique kind of gimmicks of that game dragon quest 8 was the tension system yes where you basically can kind of like let me break a little boost yeah you kind of like you kind of like forego an attack just to boost for a turn instead or or sometimes two or three turns to basically power up and then you would unleash like stronger attacks (laughs) or things like that yeah you could even in that version if you like boosted all the way with your main character he would look like a super saiyan you know yeah Toriyama art style right there um, and this is actually something I w- really didn't like think about when this game was coming out, but Liz mentioned it in her review, and now that I'm playing it, I see exactly where she's coming from. This game, you don't have to do that at all. You don't have to worry about like wasting turns boosting. And instead, instead of tension, what this game has is something called pep. And what that is, it's basically like it's it's semi-random. It, it, it occurs more frequently if like your character's under duress or things like that. Is that a character can kind of well can sometimes just sporadically enter a boost state, kind of like a tension state, and if you were using the old game's term, yeah. where they their 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 stats power up. Each character's pep state's a little bit different in terms of like what it strengthens. For example, Eric when he goes into pep, he becomes a lot faster. Veronica, her magic is boosted and things like that. Um, and then if multiple characters are pepped up at the same time, you can kind of do these combination attacks. And I think this this pep system, it sounds like just a small thing. And you, I wasn't really thinking about it when this game was first coming out. Like, okay, that sounds fine. Yeah. But you don't, you don't have to worry about, like, 
consciously like, oh yeah, I gotta maybe I should just boost a couple of turns and then release an attack, or I gotta you know do that. And then sometimes you had enemies that could uh, that could wipe out your tension, so you kind of feel like you're wasting time, like oh like a tug of war, like oh I boosted up and then they they knocked me back down to zero, so now I gotta boost up again. You don't have to worry about that anymore, and it just kind of makes things flow a lot better. Yeah. Um, and uh, so you don't have to worry about it, and it, it just makes things a little bit more dynamic when like characters can kind of just be pepping up at various times. Like I'm, uh, I was doing a battle earlier where uh, basically all my characters pepped at the same time, and I was able to pull off a couple of pep powers, as they call them, to do these powerful attacks. And it, it, it just makes this turn-based <laughs> system. I I think it's just a small change from tension, but it makes it just a little bit. It flows a little bit better, and it, it I think it actually is a significant difference that they made, and I think it's for the better. Yeah, I mean, aside from just being flowing better, it makes it more exciting, as you said, more dynamic, and so more uh, entertaining, which is important, because if we have uh, this old system, like a turn-based RPG, uh, they clearly modernized it, which is good to hear. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, as you said, you're only about 10 hours in, but you're having a great time with it. I don't think either of us, aside from like what I'm working on right now, have anything going on in the near future, and so I assume you're going to be playing through this to the end? Yeah, well, this month is crazy, you know, yeah. like, especially for our site. Um, so we have the Torna DLC for Xenoblade coming out next week, and that sounds Torna. like... I, I, yeah. yeah, that's shorthand. It's Xenoblade Chronicles 2, Torna the Golden Country. Torna oh. is a... Is a <laughs> Yeah, it's basically you haven't played Xenoblade Two, right? It's it's kind of like a no. key area in that game. So people who have played it will know what Torna is. Um, but it's uh, that's coming out like a week from yesterday, like already. And then uh, Spider Man obviously just came out, which I know so, several people on our staff are playing that. Oh yeah, um, I heard great things about that game. I I love to play that as well. It's just like apparently it's it's on Mac's best game yet, which is good to hear because they make some great games. Yeah. Um, just kind of an aside, I kind of feel like Insomniac's games up to this point have been pretty good, but they hadn't really had, like, a really stellar, like, universally acclaimed hit. Like, yeah, a lot of people liked Infamous. A lot of people liked Sunset Overdrive. There's or not problems Infamous, with that's Infamous, yeah. Um, yeah, that's Sucker Punch. Punch. I was going to say, Infamous had problems. Oh. It's like Ratchet and Clank, you know, that's yeah. that's their big titles. Insomniac, like, Sunset Overdrive, like... I think, it was stood out, but it was an Xbox One launch, uh, not launch title, but it was an Xbox One title, and so... Not a whole lot of attention was paid, but apparently it was way better than people give it credit for. And so I can definitely yeah, see It that. just feels like they like took the next step up like as the developer yeah. with this game, and they really seems like they knocked it out of the park. Anyways, but uh, later in the month, we have uh, uh, Valkyria Chronicles 4, which you're actually reviewing right now. Yeah, Valkyria um, Chronicles it, 4. Your, your microphone's kind of out a little bit, but yeah, Valkyria oh, Chronicles oops. 4 is one of them. Yep. And then there's a couple of other games popping around the month, too. Couple yes. uh, niche games. Uh, there's a there's the Pathfinder computer RPG, which I know I actually know a couple people who are really excited for that. Um, yeah, and James <laughs> is currently covering Coven a Labyrinth, which will be out next week. He can talk about it next week, uh, I should say, because the embargo will let him. So he's that's why he's not on the podcast chatting about it right now. But yeah, there's there's plenty of stuff to look forward to, and especially towards the end of the month. And so um, yeah, it's it's pretty exciting times it, uh, as compared to August, which was a bit of a lull. And so, um, but, you know, the good thing is that we were also getting review copies early enough that we could, you know, give our full thoughts about it when, when they finally came out. And that's what Liz got to do with Dragon Quest Eleven. She had uh, plenty of time to get through that yeah. game. Uh, but that, apparently, yeah, as you said, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah, Square Enix was 
definitely aware of Dragon Quest XI's length, and they ha- they gave yeah. Liz and all the reviewers like a month or more to review it, just to kind of yeah. you know you, you don't have to you don't have to try to rush this 100 hour game in two weeks. You at least get four weeks to sink into it. So. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that uh, because she was not able to get to the true ending because that's a huge time sink and uh, yeah. we're not doing this full time so it's not like we have ability to kind of do that kind of stuff. She did, of course, reach the ending through the credits but um, true ending, as you said, would have been over 100 hours and that's just not fully plausible when we're... Well, there, there's before. so many things to do in the post-game so apparently. Yeah. Like, not just like the story stuff but there's like, there's, like these... Uh, I don't know what's considered a spoiler, so I won't say it. But there's yeah. there's, there's there's a lot of like a bit longer term side quest type of stuff you can do in the post game that just apparently is a little bit of a it takes some time to do. So yeah, it's, that's, that's it's very all, that's that's where this hundred hour comes from. Uh, yeah, hour mark was, that people sometimes say. Exactly. So, yeah. I was kind of hoping that we would hear whether uh, because the big reveal uh, in the Japanese release is that once you got through the true ending uh, credits, uh, people were able to unlock Dragon Quest One for the PS4 as a digital download. Uh, apparently, since no one has talked about it yet, now we know people that have platinum the game. It clearly wasn't included with this release, so hopefully we'll hear about that sometime soon because way back when, on that Walmart Canada leak uh, for E3, amongst those titles was like Dragon Quest 1 and 2 for PS4. I, th- I don't know if it was 1 and 2 or just 2 or something like that, but it was seen for PS4, and so we were like, maybe that's that's going to happen. But, uh, you know, for what it's worth, they could always just launch that whenever. It's not like they need to yeah. uh, worry about that because it's on, it's on iOS and Android, you know. It's like they've got the translation and all that stuff. I mean, obviously, they've had it since it came out in the 80s, but regardless. Mm-hmm. Like, they've got a modern-ish version of them, so hopefully we get to see those soon enough. But yeah, um, as you mentioned for me, um, Valkyrie Chronicles 4, I've been playing through that. Uh, I can't talk a whole lot about it because only the preview embargo is up. I'll have my full review next week, but um, I'll just Pretty say the review. review. Yeah, yeah, my review. Two weeks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Clearly they, they're confident about it as opposed to Valkyrie Revolution where that yeah. game you can get for like less than 10 bucks like months after release. It was pretty sad. My if it's my reviews any indication it's nearly twenty four hundred words so I'm, I've got a lot to say about it. Um, I'm looking at it right now, but yeah, like this game, uh, I was a little harsh on it when we were chatting about it on Discord, but like call it like Valkyrie Chronicles one point five, but it's a lot different uh, than I thought it was going to be. Uh, as as I played more of it, go figure. Um, it's I would say the length of it uh, is probably going to be comparable to the first game anyway, but there's so much extra stuff to do. As far mm-hmm. as, I mean, there's, there's the same length in terms of like just the main storyline, but there's a lot of side stuff that I was not fully expecting. Um, so uh, just to take a step back, this whole story itself is about... Um, it's set at the same time as Valkyrie Chronicles 1 and 3. Three. Uh, yeah, two, of all, course, all takes take place. place at the same yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 2 takes place a couple years later, so it's it's considered like the, the last... It's like the Fast and the Furious uh, Tokyo Drift of the series. Yeah. But um, you play as this uh, commander, uh, Claude Wallace, who is the valed- valedictorian of his class, and so, of course, he's put in, in charge of everybody. Um, and so the big goal in this game is that they're going to be attacking the heart of the Empire, of the, of the Imperials, and pro- finally bring, bring this entire war to an end. And so that's that's the big thing going on here. Um, they made uh, plenty of changes. As someone who played Valkyrie Chronicles 3 last year, uh, for the second time all the way through, and I've played one, I've not played two, um, but uh, so that's my kind of where I'm coming from as far as the experience with the series is concerned. Uh, there's a lot of changes, but there's a lot of stuff that remains the same. 
for example, for similar stuff, the headquarters where you go to to uh, train your troops uh, and uh, unlock research, buy equipment, stuff like that. All the layout is exactly the same as one. Uh, there's nothing different there. Like any any different menu you go to, it's like there's nothing special that they added to it, uh, which is not that different from, I assume, from three, uh, two or three really. Uh, but that's that's like there's nothing special to look for out there, which is fine. Uh, like if it was going to make it more complex, I'd have a hard time just navigating the headquarters. So I'm fine with that. Uh, the big new changes I can say is that for one thing. Uh, they got rid of the master table from Valkyrie Chronicles three, so they what? went back to the Valk- so the, the big thing about Valk- the master table in Valkyrie Chronicles. Th- I just don't remember what you're referring to. I played three. I just don't remember what you're referring to. Yeah, but I'm also explaining it to the people listening yeah. too. Of course, um, is that um, that in in Valkyrie Chronicles three, the cool thing you could do is that any of your squad mates you can have them switch to a different class. I think I may have talked about this last week. I'm yeah. not fully sure, but I, th- I think I went into a little bit about how like um, it was kind of like uh, jobs and sub jobs in Final Fantasy in the Final Fantasy games where you could take your class, move them to a different class, unlock special abilities that are only inherent to that class, and then bring it on back. So, for example, I've got a, a shock trooper who's uh, you know he's got the the, mach- uh, the assault rifle. He can um, you can switch him to become a scout. Uh, which enhances his AP bar, which is like their stamina bar. You know, once it empties, when they're running around, then they can't move any longer. They're, they have to stay still. So in, in, in 3, what you could do is switch them over, unlock this ability where if their stamina bar drains, the AP bar drains, it restores automatically to full as you're still moving. Uh, there's like a chance of that happening. Um, but also you can unlock this other thing where it doubles the size of that bar. So you can just have this, uh, instead of that old, uh, you know, that thing people like to make fun of the series for, like that, uh, you can cheese the game by just sprinting across the map as a scout to get to the flag and take it and, and take control of that stuff. You can do that with a shock trooper instead. And that, uh, as a, as a, as someone who's got like way more firepower and way more, uh, higher armor stats, it's always cool to be able to do that kind of thing. So they took that all out because there's a lot more characters in this game. Like the cast of characters you can have as far as your in your, in your squad is way bigger than any of the games in the series. I can say that at least with certainty because I've checked into it before. Um, but one of the cool things is is that in order to adjust for that, um, they help you get to know them a lot better. So they have something called squad stories. And so this is kind of like um, when you go into the book mode, which is like the overview of, of what you can do. Like if you want to go to the next main story mission, go to do a skirmish, which is just like a, a way to get more experience and money as like a little side quest kind of thing. Um, it's in the same menu. You can go to squad stories and it helps you like it, it goes through like these little vignettes where you get to know these particular squad members, their backstories, uh, and their interactions with each other, and then go to do another uh, skirmish through that mode. So it's, ju- it's another, another way to build up your entire army, yeah. but it also helps you get to know them. It's a great way to give them some dimension, which I really yeah, appreciated like in, because... Yeah, and yeah, go in ahead. Valkyrie Chronicles 1, you know, besides you know, the, main, the main crew, like Largo, Rosie, 
uh, Alicia Welkin. Like every other character you get, they basically just say hi, yeah, and then you got them, you know. And they have like some quirks and things that you know kind of give like a hint of a personality, but like they really don't do anything otherwise. So that's yeah. kind of nice to hear. Yeah, I mean, of course you played two, but yeah, in one it's like uh, unless you watch the anime for Valkyrie Chronicles one, it's like you didn't really get to know them, and some of them had some really cool stories. Like there's these two sniper brothers that you barely got to know, but the most you got was some flavor text. And I was like, I would love to know more about these two guys. Um, and three, uh, the whole thing was that you're you're just a squad, and in, in, so they they introduced uh, squad members in that game over the course of it. But you're still pretty small, like a small cast, and so everyone had their own personalities. They had they were always yeah. present to have conversations no... with you. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, like. Yeah, like what you were, you basically just said this, but in in three you basically just get your the set characters, you know, at yeah. set times, like like a more traditional like SRPG, rather than you know Valkyrie Chronicles one where you kind of recruit kind of whatever you choose, yeah. and and also in Valkyrie Chronicles one like which which characters were available to recruit was a little bit random. Um, yeah, it's it's like it's like it's it's the same here as it was in one where it's like you've got you start with like a, a larger pool. Uh, of soldiers to that you can put into your your into your ranks or you know send them out or whatever. Um, and three, you just kept with them, which was great. Yep. In this game, uh, your other squad mates, aside from the uh, the officers, your main cast or whatever, uh, they all kind of talk every now and then. You know, they actually do participate mm-hmm. in the main story. Uh, and people are like I don't even know who you are, and they just show up like either it's through like flashbacks for the ranger training uh school that they went through different like uh, uh training sessions and all this stuff like they show up there this the other squad mates uh they sometimes chime in and they appear in cutscenes and have their own words to say so they're all very much present there which is pretty cool especially the ones like i like the most um they, they appear there as well like um i was mentioned about the squad stories like there's this one person this woman who's got this helmet on She's got like you know these uh, you know twin pig ta- uh, two pigtails on, but she's got like this helmet on, and you're like, this is very uh, interesting character, and and like I was kind of uh, I was going to be like I hope they talk about her because there's nobody else in the squad that's walking around with like this medieval helmet on, and they do address it and they talk about it, and she's actually got sort of a, a little sad backstory, which is kind of like this game. Uh, it's. Not, I mean, this game is not a sad backstory. It's more that um, there's way more events than there were in the past that set a really somber mood. Like they, the te- the tension's a lot higher, the stakes are a lot higher than they were. It seemed like in the earlier games, it's less of like you know the whole thing about the first game was that it was the dynamic between Walken and um, uh, well, is is uh, the other I, main I, troops, I, but also between uh, him and um, Alicia. I um, think like just it, to it, kind of piggyback it, off so, of what you're saying. Just really quick here, sorry. Like, Valkyria Chronicles 1, and you might have to correct me if I'm wrong, you basically are um, a squad that is sort of, like, recruited to work for Gallia. Um, yes. And obviously, like, a lot of the characters are from, like, these rural towns and villages that are kind of just got swept up in it all. Where I believe in Valkyria Chronicles 4, your squad are actually, like, it's more like the proper army. And I yes, think that you were was drafted. To, yeah, yeah, I think that's supposed to be like a little bit of a difference. Where like these, this is more like we are the army, and this is our mission. Where Valkyrie Chronicles One is more like kind of Rag-taggy. we got all swept <laughs> up in this, and you know, so it's it's just a slight difference. And I know I, I remember when they announced that DLC um, that there's a DLC that comes out where you meet Welkin and the other Squad Seven from, from yeah. Squad Seven from the original game. 
Um, and that's supposed to be like the dynamic there, you know, it's like army, ver- like the actual like army squad of the Federation versus like the Gallia kind of, you know, hodgepodge squad. Um, so yeah, from the first yeah. Game, it, so yeah, exactly, exactly. It, it, and, you know, like, I think Welkin, uh, correct me if I'm wrong as well, that I think he actually was in, in officer training school and all that stuff, but he gave yeah, it he up. Yeah, he was, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember the lore here. Unfortunately, I don't have it in front of me. I didn't prepare, but like, I played it. I played Gallia, it recently. So Gallia, was only, yeah. Gallia was only a smaller part of the Federation and that's where he was working yeah so yeah they were they were uh they were the neutral territory that no they weren't going to get involved and then they do because the imperials decided to get them involved because they wanted their magnite resources and all that stuff so um Mm -hmm. they decided to get get in a big fight uh so this is different so yeah as you said they all go through proper training school and all that through you know if you want to call it like ROTC and all that stuff to get to the training to become uh, the Ranger Corps, so they're kind of like elite soldiers who just who have are tasked with going into the heart of the of the Imperial territory uh, by going north. And so this big thing is that you know now they're in the snow snowy territories uh, where the harshness of winter sets in, and that's why where it gets a lot more serious. I mean, I'm not gonna spoil everything because this is important uh but uh you know broadly speaking there's a lot more uh emotional moments a lot more dramatic moments because it it gets things get really serious uh you know obviously people's lives are on the line and so they really get into that stuff people do die uh characters do die um and I'm not going to spoil any of the other games because I don't want that to happen. But, you know, going from Valkyrie Chronicles 3, where I, I love the cast of characters there, because since they were such a small group, as we talked about, you really got to know them a lot better. This game does a pretty good job in itself in trying to get you to know these people through these, as I mentioned, the squad stories. And there's plenty of other places, too. As I said, they also appeal plenty and, and the story missions, too, and the cutscenes there. Um, but... A lot of the squad members have their own history, uh, their own backgrounds, some connections to other squad members as well, and so it's it's all about how they you know bounce off each other that makes it so interesting so far. Um, I'm not done with the game yet. Uh, I've definitely passed the point that I can talk about in the review as far as like uh, in our embargo notes that there's like a, a little threshold about as far as you can talk up to this point. Uh, kind of like, you know, same thing happened to us like in Dragon World or Persona, yeah. you know, it's all, we only get to a certain point because uh, they tell us that that's, that's as far as you can go. At least in story. Uh, for gameplay, there's plenty of content there to be excited about. Uh, you know, anyone who liked the earlier entries, you know, this seems like it's going to be right up their alley. And I'm excited to check out the rest of this. I do want to hopefully be able to beat the game before I give my final thoughts. But uh, for what it's worth, you know, um, I can say at least this much that it definitely stands up to a lot of the other uh, to the other entries. And I'm hoping that it continues to grow to the point that I can say it's the best of the of the bunch. Uh, but we'll yeah. see. I've talked about this with you and the other staff members kind of in private or in our group chats yeah. or whatever. But like... I actually feel that Valkyria Chronicles 2 and 3 are fundamentally different enough from 1 and seemingly oh. 4 oh, yeah. uh, that I actually find them a little bit hard to compare. Like, clearly, <laughs> obviously, like, at some fundamental level, they're the same style of game. But the things like just, like, the more bigger, stru- the bigger structure, uh, the, the, the map size, <laughs> or, like, the, uh, the, segments, the segmented maps. But also, like, one thing about... So I played Valkyria Chronicles 1 earlier this year. I played it on PC kind of as a replay. Oh. Uh, and I, I played three also uh, earlier this year. Um, <laughs> Japanese. And kind of, yeah, I just played it in Japanese because I'm lazy. Yeah. But um, 
one thing that kind of stuck out to me is the battle density in three. In three, you fight way more just battles, just overall. Like every, oh. there's like thirty chapters. Yeah, and like each chapter has like three main missions in each chapter. And it's I'm, way I, bigger than one was. That's, that's yeah, sure. Eight, one was half that. There's a lot you know. of battles, and then there's side battles off of that. Like none of the battles are as big as in, in one or probably four, but you do a lot of them. And also, there's just this there's the, there's this higher level of repetition as well. There's a little oh. bit of there's almost there's also almost like a farming element to it uh, in terms of like getting money or stuff to get uh, upgrades uh, or level up your characters and things like that. But yeah. that also makes sense being a portable game. Yeah, um, having that PSP. sort of gameplay loop, you know, it, yeah. it, it 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 doesn't that that sort of loop satisfies like if you're on a commute or something and you just need like. If you need to just waste some time, you can just do these a couple of small missions. Yeah, kind of just just to waste some time, get some levels. You know, maybe maybe do a couple of story missions, uh, progress a little bit. Where like one and seemingly four, it seems like battle density is lowered. Like you're not fighting as many battles, but they're bigger, bigger scale. Um, yes. You know, maybe a little more intricate in design and things like that. Less repetitive. Uh, and so I actually kind of find it a little bit hard to compare the two. Um, yeah, but, uh, I like, mean, yeah, I mean, it's, from, what, from, from, from all points and from from, what, from all from, from from everything I've heard, it seems like Valkyria Chronicles Four is something that people who did enjoy one will like. And the, I know some people have maybe said from import impressions or whatever that it may not, it may it keep maybe be almost too similar or maybe keep things too safe. But after Revolution. I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, it's yeah. yeah. It's it's. I mean, yeah. It's hard to compare with three, especially because yeah. It's like you got to remember that even if it was built um, in the last days of the PSP, it's like it's still a platform that came out in two thousand five, and so they were definitely dealing with restrictions. Like uh, there, you went through a lot. There was like only like maybe three or four different types of maps. Like they, you kind of repeated them so many times. Like now go through it from this direction. Now go from this direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you dealt with that quite a lot. I will say, um, speaking on that comment I made earlier about people cheating the game by using a scout to get from one uh, side of the map to the other, uh, there's a couple things that make that a lot harder this time. Um, I mean, I guess it depends on the player. But for one thing, the maps are a lot bigger than any of the other games, which, you know, two and three, obviously. But one, even, uh, it's like twice the size, I would say, as far as the scale of those maps. But also, you actually get to change the difficulty. And so you can play through easy if you found, you know, these games can be kind of challenging, or like some of the spikes that could come later. I'm playing on normal, and yeah, like, uh, those maps can sometimes be filled up with tanks, with now there's Gatling guns, and there's, um, you know, these... Uh, 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 you know, cannons, uh, like uh, anti-tank cannons. Uh, there's, uh, you know, uh, a lot of these trenches. There's a lot of stuff that can get you in the way from trying to do something like that. We can just run over and grab the, of the flag. And because you're playing on a higher difficulty, enemies also do a lot more damage. And so you can really get, like, gunned down pretty quickly. Like, I'm trying to run up on some groups and... And, and as a scout, like I get pretty much wasted almost immediately if I'm not careful. Um, I will say the only issue I've faced so far is that sometimes there can be some real lag. Uh, not in terms of like they're just running around or whatever. It's that hitting like R1 to go into the look mode. Like there's sometimes like it takes a little bit too much time to get from you know the action to hold up your gun and once you do that the yeah. enemy stop firing but i've i've been killed by just you know taking it, it, the game taking its sweet time to do so and as like you've played the demo so like as the grenadier it's like it's not until she has to put it down on the ground set it up 
and then they stop firing. And this can take like five, six seconds just to do that uh, that as much. So um, there is definitely a lot of challenge there. And as the game goes on, I assume that it'll only get bigger. It's definitely gotten there for me. Uh, but I think that's a good thing, really. Uh, it really needs that. I'm sure they'll fix any issues that people might have had later on. But for now, yeah, just... A lot of very positive thoughts. Uh, it makes sense because you and I both really liked the first game. Um, so, you know, it, it wouldn't be too surprising for me to be very high on this one, too. Uh, but, uh, you know, anytime I expect this thing to go very south, so I'll see how it goes. <laughs> but um, I'll have my review up in a few days and so people can find out for themselves. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, <laughs> we're playing two of the biggest releases of September, so I think we still got a plenty of good discussion out of that, despite not having uh, Josh here to talk about the other big release. But um, let's get into the news. And so, we were just talking about Square Enix a little bit ago, about what they've been doing to Final Fantasy, and we heard, uh, and this was kind of leaked ahead of time uh, with an image on PSN, but Final Fantasy XV Pocket Edition is now available on PS4 and Xbox One, with a Nintendo Switch port coming soon. So, you know, there's some comments out there about how, hey, you know, why would you want this when the Final Fantasy XV Royal Edition was just a few dollars more uh, not too long ago when it was on sale? Um, you know, obviously, it's it's kind of hard to look at a lot of that stuff. A price point, I think, is a problem for this game. Other than that, um, you know, some people may want just a more compressed version of that game um, and with this different graphical style they may be more into. So I honestly don't think it's that big a deal that it's going to be on uh, standing next to Final Fantasy XV, the proper uh, release. Um, I've not played Pocket Edition, no, though, so I don't know what the quality of that is. Have you ever taken a look at it yet? Because I know you beat fifteen. Yeah, I... I don't really know much about it other than, like, I, I understand it's a sort of condensed yeah. form of the game. It's got a similar battle system, I know. You know, it's obviously originally was meant for phones, so it uh, had to be watered down from going from a controller to a phone. And the original release was also, like, a 10-episode thing, so I guess it's segmented into, like, the 10 key parts of the game, uh, of the console game. And I, I assume it's not like open world, and there's probably you know I don't I don't know exactly how the map structure works, but yeah. hey, I, mean, uh, I know it, I, I do know some people so. do actually think it is an improvement in ways on the original game. Things like <laughs> uh, things like the open world design or the side quest design of Final Fantasy 15 that uh, aren't great. <laughs> I'll just say keep it at that. So it, it, maybe a condensed down version actually does it some favors. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, know, not, to be honest, I'm not really personally interested in it. Yeah, I mean, so. aside from that, I mean, the argument can also be made, but uh, like, maybe you don't own a, a PS4, or perhaps you don't have a PC that is capable of running the actual Final Fantasy 15, and so this is a way better option for them that still want to experience the the main hooks of the story. And as you said, like the the story and the gameplay, uh, having it sort of more abbreviated. Uh, might be easier for them too instead of sinking like 60 70 hours into final fantasy 15 or however long i can go uh this might be better but yeah the design itself also is kind of appealing for someone like me who grew up on those like old like you know playstation one games so i i can see i can see the appeal in that and that kind of explains it i don't really agree on the price price point like if i'm not mistaken isn't like 30 bucks or something like 25 30 it's, bucks or something it's 30 dollars yeah. normally 
Yeah, but it's, yeah. it is like have it does have like a discount right now. But yeah, the, like it's actually a pretty significant discount, like forty percent off. Yeah, but yeah, it's like thirty dollars is normal price. It's like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, definitely, it's a game you would want to buy on sale, not at full price. Uh, which you know, for what it's worth, I expect it to be on pre- uh, on discount pretty often because it's it's it came out last year, so that would make sense. Well, let's keep on the same uh, subject of Square Enix because um, Kite, uh, another staff member, we really appreciate having around, he helped to, uh, he translated an interview uh, that was uh, done through Famitsu uh, that Tomoya Asano talked about uh, the future of the Octopath Traveler and Bravely series. Now, we, t- we mentioned earlier about, you know, how it's it's cool how Octopath Traveler, a turn-based RPG just like Dragon Quest XI, has seen such massive success in the West, selling over a million copies. Uh, and so, Famitsu sat down with uh, with uh, the, the leader of the 11th Business Division and want to talk more about what they what they have in mind uh, as far as what what the series, both series, are going forward. He didn't really get too much into uh, the Bravely games. All he said was that there was that Christmas image that came out, um, that the piece of artwork. Uh, uh, not, not actually, there was like a couple things. One was that. Um, when Octopath Traveler passed a million sales, uh, there was an image that came out with all the main char- uh, with all eight characters in the same form of of the cover of Bailey Default, like the the look of it. Was it Bailey Default or Bailey Second? Bailey Default. Uh, it's the, it showed the fairy Airy from that yeah, game. Airy, um, yeah, Airy. So you can speak more to this than I can. Actually, why don't you take it away? I mean, basically, the 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 artwork that they showed to celebrate one million sales. It basically shared a silhouette with that, like it was the same outline, a different image, but the same outline. And someone actually picked that up pretty readily and like, wait a minute, why did they do it like that? And then that was from the Octopath, like, official account. And then the, um, the Bravely account on Twitter basically kind of confirmed it even more kind of actually like specifically pointing out hmm, these images are similar huh how interesting yeah uh, teasing. and what this interview what they actually said in this interview was essentially we don't they didn't like mean anything by this in terms of like yes we absolutely have another project in store right now that we're just teasing you about it was more like we understand that this is a franchise that we are not done with and it's not i think the wording they used was this isn't a franchise of the past for us so it's basically still within their considerations that whether or not (laughs) it's an active development whether or not it's an active development now or or they're they're maybe just pre-production or maybe they're just just thinking about what do we do with it it's they're they're it's still in consideration so we could get a, a, a bravely third or whatever um some point down the line even though absolutely uh silicon studio doesn't do well, they what do they do? They, they, they don't, don't do games, games anymore. anymore. Yeah, but, they stopped, which is sad. Now we they're not going to be working on on developing that game. But you yeah. know, which is okay. You know, if they find somebody else who can do as well a job, and they've got a pretty strong foundation to work off of, so it's not like they're making a whole new IP again. Um, they can work off of whatever was cre- created before, which is great to have. But yeah, it, the bottom line was that you know. They see the, the the really strong response from both uh, series and want to continue with them. It's not very shocking news, but it's still great to see that. And you know, hopefully one day we'll get the Bravely series on console, like what people want. So, and uh, but as that, for, it's great to see that. Oh, well, or as what? as for Octopath, yeah, they basically just sh- stopped one step shy of saying we're making a sequel. They they what they basically said was. Um, 
as for the sequel, we need to consider what it ought to be. So, yeah. like, from what that sounds like to me, and, you know, this is reading into it, it's like they are definitely interested in doing it. But they they haven't they they need to design it first. Like, what do we want to do? Do we want to you know, like, how do we want to do it? You know, it's it's, it's pretty it's much the same. It was developed by just to, just to mention for people who aren't familiar, Octopath is developed by Acquire, which is actually someone that Square Enix hasn't really worked with much, as far as I understand, in the past. Um, so that's actually kind of an interesting thing. Like, maybe it'll just have Square Enix will basically continue to work with them um, on and make this a franchise. Who knows? Yeah, I mean it's it's the response that they're getting from this is the same thing that Yosuke Saito and Yokotaro said when they were looking at like we're definitely going to make a new near we just don't know what it is yet as yeah. I mean, just to sum, summarize what they said so you know they they're looking into it it's it seems like Square Enix is definitely going to stay inside that su- sequel mentality which is good you know working off of the brand name and all that stuff um, you know for as far as the near series I was like oh, man what can they do with that because it, it went some crazy places they'll probably just do another game that a thousand years ahead of time or something like that like before uh but yeah um just happy to see the past couple years just been really great for the company um and we'll hopefully get to hear more about octopath and Bailey in some capacity sometime soon i don't assume anything will be at tokyo game show that's for sure mm-hmm. um so the last bit of news that we've got here is uh thq nordic uh formerly nordic games uh, they've been making some big inroads as of late as far as uh, picking up old properties that have been scrapped or, you know, they're basically doing like the anime style of, of, of license rescuing. And so uh, not too long ago, they announced they picked up Time Splitters and Second Sight, which I have not heard about that game in a long time. Um, in this case, though, they announced they picked up the rights to Kingdoms of Amalur. Uh, so this is the game that was from <laughs> that went through quite the troubled history with 38 Studios. Like uh, as far as I know, I think only last year they finally completed the le- uh, litigation regarding uh, Kurt Schilling. Uh, you know, pulling out a loan with Maryland and who was going to be on the hook for it. Uh, there was a whole Island. nightmare about that. Uh, but what happened was that uh, so THQ Nordic this past week announced that they had acquired the rights uh, to. Uh, Kingdoms Bobbler, along with other assets, which might be Project Copernicus, which was the game, the MMO that 38 Studios was working on uh, before they shut down with, and Big Huge Games. Uh, 38 Studios was the parent company of Big Huge Games. They're both the ones that, that developed Kingdoms of Bobbler. And so, yeah, like, this was kind of out of nowhere. Um, it's been free on PlayStation Plus before, but that was like the only kind of blip on the radar this, radar this game has had uh, since it first came out. Uh, I, I don't think either of us have played Kingdoms of Amalur, but I just remember hearing great things about how fun the combat was, even if a lot of the stuff around it was pretty generic, or at least uh, it wasn't very inspiring. Uh, the combat itself and the loop-based uh, um, you know, uh, mechanics and everything like that was pretty good. Uh, That's what I've heard. Yeah, I've heard a lot of praise for it. Yeah, and it didn't sell that well. So I don't know what exactly THQ Nordic plans to do. Maybe bring it to modern consoles or something like that. But for a game that only sold over like, I think it was like a few hundred thousand copies and it was, was supposed to sell like millions. Uh, I don't know what they plan to do with it, uh, but good on them. And we'll hopefully hear something about that soon. Uh, but I, I had a very strong response. People, a lot of people were very excited about this news. And so, you know, there's still a fan base there. Uh, that want more of it, and it's cool to see that. Like, it's it's definitely a game that 
uh, would do better with the sequel. Is is everything I've heard of that? It's like uh, it's kind of like the first Assassin's Creed. It's like that was okay, really do with the sequel, and then it got better. So um, I'm happy about that. Uh, I saw the people that were originally from Thirty Eight Studios and Big Huge Games very excited to see it being picked up. Uh, it was their baby, and you know it's it's very cool to see that kind of stuff happening. So hopefully we'll hear about that soon. Um, before we go. There doesn't seem to be anything special about that Pokemon stream other than the Pokemon that come with you know all the important uh, abilities like Cut and Surf. So that was just kind of a a very generic stream. So nothing very uh, thrilling there. So we'll go ahead and wrap things up on our end. So as always, you can find us on RPGSite.net. We can check out the reviews that we mentioned of Dragon Quest XI, 428 Should Be Your Scramble. Uh, and the review that we have of Divinity Original Sin 2 Definitive Edition Console, that's up there too. We've also got plenty of guides, uh, and Liz, I think, is working on more of them for, like, Dragon Quest XI. Like, we, we, we're working on stuff right now for that, um, and so you can check out everything there, all the news we talked about today. You can also find us on uh, Twitter, at RPG Site, our first Facebook page, facebook.com slash rpgsitenet, youtube.com slash rpgsitenet for our channel there. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, your favorite podcast app. Just search for TetraCast. You can also find us on Discord if you want to chat with uh, the rest of the staff or our growing community. Uh, just go to discord.me slash RPG site. It's the permanent link to get there. Lastly, we'd like to share where you can find us on Twitter. So where can they find you, Adam? K-I-N-G underscore S-E-D-A. Thank you. you can find me at Zacharys, as always. So, uh, yeah, thank you, Adam, for being a part of this podcast. Thank you all out there for listening. Um, and catch us next week for yet another edition of the TetraCast. We'll have coverage of Coven Labyrinth and Valkyra Chronicles 4. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>